Father God, it is good to be in your presence. And God, we want to thank you for uh, this gift, this acceptance, this understanding. God, we want to be a part of this kingdom. We want to be more than just people who sing the words of these songs. We want to be the people who uh, propagate these songs, not only here in this room on your Sabbath, but out in the world as we go about the rest of our week. God, help us to be those people. We thank you in advance for being patient with us, being good for us and good to us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. It's good to be with you all again. A couple of weeks ago, I got a chance to preach, which was a ton of fun, being a part of a series. But now this time, I get to start a series, which is new and exciting, setting the tempo, seeing how other people take ideas and move them along. I was uh, super excited to be at the start, and then I saw what we were reading. We're going to have some fun today. <laughs> I feel like there was a barometer check a little bit, like the people who laughed, you've been reading the Daily Walk, that's good. Those of you who didn't laugh, at home. Start laughing. You got till next week to figure it out. Let's start with this. I want to give us a, a frame of reference for this understanding of the book of Amos. Book of Amos is uh, atypical. It's a, it's, a, it's a prophet. It's a prophet who is telling his story. And uh, if we're not careful with how we frame this conversation right from the beginning, uh, it, can get a little, it can get a little lopsided. So I want to I start this. Uh, Amos 1.1, if you just have your Bibles open in front of you, or your iPads, or your whatever devices you want to you be reading from, Amos 1.1, in conjunction with the series title and the sermon title, I'm going to tell you right up front, if you just take those things, you will betray the tenor of this book. Because in the beginning, it's like, yeah, Amos, he was a shepherd, lived in the grasslands. He lived between this place and this place. And at that time, there was, there was this king and that king. Oh, that's nice. Then you look at the shepherd's roar. Ooh, ooh, that's kind of mysterious. It's probably not real. He's probably not roaring. And then you look at the, the sermon title. And the sermon title's uh, the shepherd's vision. Like, oh, yeah, good, good. Everything is good. If you just stop there, you can keep that lofty, pretty, feel-good, exasperation feeling. You read any further than that, and if you keep that tenor, it'll throw it off. So let's, let's try this together. And I, I want to start by saying thank you to Clark. This is in no way, I'm not sure where Clark is, but wherever you are, Clark, this is not me uh, poking holes. But let's say we took that tenor just from the beginning, and we read through with just as like, yeah, it's a shepherd. Yeah. We'll just take that tenor and read through. Verse 2, and he said, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds wither, and the top of Carmel dries up. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus, and for four, I will not revoke punishment. 
We can keep doing this. It will get odd. I'm going to give you a second. I'm not going to read this, but just flip ahead to verse 13. And just in your head, using this voice, try reading that. I'll give you time. Verse 13. A little bit harder to do, isn't it? I promise not to read this because Stacy Soapman and I sat next to each other at a, at a school board meeting this past week. And she said that she told her kids, hey, pay close attention. The pastor's speaking. I won't say who it was. But pastor's speaking, let's, let's focus in on what you're doing. You don't need to be coloring right now. And then like the first things out of his mouth were like highly inappropriate for children. And it was like, mom, what do, what do all those words mean? If you read verse 13 and I was to read it right now, <laughs> I don't want to fall into that same trap. So for the sake of, sake of Stacy and for all of you, just think about that, the tenor switch that will have to come with this section of Amos. Because the reality is this, if we read it that way, we will miss the tenor of this scripture. Instead, we've got to switch it up. And the way to give you this understanding, this reframing of, of references here, I want to give you just a, a little Hebrew background, okay? So take the word roar, for example. In the word roar, your first thought, you know, potentially is like, oh, yeah, we've heard of, like, the lion. So there's, there's this, like, God and the lion, and if you're familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, there's, there's some pieces here. This is not that lion, okay? This is a different lion. And the word roar gives us the ability to understand it. But I want you to buckle into this idea first. The book of Amos is rated M for mature, all right? Parental advisory warning. What you are about to hear is offensive to everyone. Viewer discretion is advised. Did everybody catch that? Feel like you're not taking me seriously. That's fine. Good. Don't buckle in. Yeah, you'll just get hit right in the chest with this one, and it's going to hurt, and it's going to be awkward, but I tried to warn you. You're on your own. So let's reframe the conversation. Let's take the word roar. The word roar in Hebrew, sha'ag. All right? Sha'ag is used twice in the Bible. There are plenty of roaring things, but this roaring lion is only used twice. So to understand what Amos is saying here, we have to go back to the other version that we know of so that we can understand it. And you would have to go back to Judges 14. Go back to Judges 14, and you're going to meet a character. His name is Samson. Samson's, you know, one of those good-feeling Bible characters, right? Samson sees a woman across a field. We'll just give a brief synopsis. As he's walking across the field to get the woman to make her his wife, a young lion roars. And then, of course, we all know the story. Samson then grabs the lion, rips it in half, like you do with a goat, says the Bible. <laughs> the word of our Lord rips the lion in half. When he's done with that, keeps going, finds the woman, makes her his wife, walks back. On his way back, he sees the lion carcass still there, except now there's a, a hive of bees on it that are making honey. And of course, Samson doing the only thing that we would all do in that situation, scoops down, picks up the honey, starts eating it on the way back, and brings it back for his family, neglecting to tell them where he found it. 
It's just one of those classics, right? Like, you guys all remember being in Sabbath school with the felt boards? Amos, Judges 14, right? The feel-goods, the ones that we remember with the little, the little lion and the felt that was already cut in half. just want to quickly shout out a debt of gratitude to the authors of the GRC preaching plan. This is going to be fun. Here's the thing. The word roar there in Judges 14 and the word roar in Amos 1 verse 2 betray the understanding of what we're dealing with. Alex Mater talks about this in uh, his book, The Message of Amos, in his uh, The Bible Speaks Today series. He says, actually, the word roar should be attacked. He says, attacked in some ways would be a better translation than roared, For the roar in question here in Amos 2 is the pouncing roar, the roar of a lion already committed to the attack, the roar intended to paralyze the victim with terror. You cannot read Amos 1 in a slightly lilting voice when you start with God, the lion, is roaring at that volume level. And to illustrate this, I'm going to give you an opportunity to feel rather than think about this idea. I'm going to show you a video clip. But before I do, I'm going to give you a little bit of background, okay? You are about to sit shotgun next to a man named Norm. Norm has a YouTube channel, and he is a bow hunter. And on this day, he is hunting turkeys. And his goal at this point is to create a video that he can add to his YouTube channel... And so while he is setting up his camera, his camera is here, all right? Well, in this case, his camera is here. Let's do this right. And here is where Norm is, all right? This camera is zoomed all the way out, so it's not zoomed in at all. This will make sense in a second. And for frame of reference... He is not alone. He is hunting in this forest with his friend Rob. The problem is Rob is 800 yards away through thick, dense forest. 800 yards, eight full football fields. That'll make sense in a second as well. I will also tell you this. This video is 10 minutes long. I'm going to show you the first two minutes. Got it? Enjoy. Go on. Go on. I'm not going to shoot you. Go. Go on. Go on. Hey. Go on. Go on. Hey! 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 Rob! Hey! 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 Hey!
You're gonna get me. Hey! Go on! Go on! Go on! Oh, go on! Go on! Kitty, come on, go away, go away, go! <laughs> You're all sick, you laughed through some of that. This is not a stage cat, this is a real mountain lion. And Norm, again, frame of reference, you are watching from this camera, Norm, is right here. Every time you heard him scream, oh God, that was the sound of him trying to put an arrow into the bow he was holding. But his hands were shaking so much that he couldn't get it. And by the time he did, the cat was right here. And so this video is him screaming at an animal whose head is right here. At one point he goes, you're gonna get me. And that cat backs up. And as you can see, I'm leaving you here. It's a 10 minute video. You get the first one minute and 47 seconds. Just think for a second. Your last words might have just been kitty kitty. <laughs> the sad reality is this, for Norm, and for all of the people and all of the nations that Amos names in chapters one and chapter two, this is no kitty. Let's pray again. Father God, uh, we're about to dive into your word. We're about to spend some time in this book of Amos, one of your prophets, someone that you called forward to tell uh, a people a message that you wanted to get forward to them. God, what we're about to embark on is terrifying. We are faced with uh, this reality, and God, we hear you roaring, roaring in a way that tells us uh, this isn't an exercise. God, this is the roar of a lion who is already primed to attack, the roar meant to paralyze the victim. And so God, as we stand in this moment, help us with our, with our understanding, help us to not only Feel the words that are coming from Amos. Help us to understand them and figure out how to apply them as we go through. God, help us. This is a tough chapter, a tough ch section, and a tough book. But we know you're here with us, and we thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. So let's start with this. If the book begins with, the lion is roaring from on Zion, roaring so loud that the meadows have been set ablaze, the top of Mount Carmel has melted and disappeared, we're gonna have to ask the question, what is God so mad about? What is it that has pushed God to this point? Because this is not the New Testament Jesus, this is the Old Testament Yahweh. And so, in diving in, here's the thing, we can read through it, I'm gonna do my best to give you kind of a navigational map 
Because Amos is talking about a region. He's talking about Israel, and he's talking about the neighbors of Israel. He's talking about these two kings. And, and he, Amos, lives in this little section right in the middle. So that he's talking to the people of the north, the people of the south, and the people around him. And he goes down the list, and he breaks it down by nation. Here's the thing. We will go into some detail, but we're not going to go into a ton of detail. Because, again, if you read verse 13, that's the tenor of what they were doing to their people. And Amos steps up to the mic and he says, attention Damascus, you've, uh, you've stepped out of line. You didn't just step out of line, you've stepped out of line many, many times and you've had opportunities to not do that anymore. You said you were gonna stop and you didn't and so I'm here to say uh, there's, there's some hell to pay. Literal hell to pay here. There's fire, there's destruction, and that's the stuff we're going to focus on here, simply because if we go through in detail, we'll have to do a whole history lesson. Well, here was what was happening in Damascus at the time in this king, and here's what you should know. You don't need to know all of those things. Study it later. Study it and understand it and look all this stuff up. It's good information. It's just not good for the time that I have left in this sermon. So instead, I'm going to break it down to three reasons. I'll give you three reasons why we understand all of these nations are on God's hit list. And so it begins with this. Amos insists throughout this section that privilege equals peril. And in all of these sections, privilege runs rampant. Simply because when you look at the titles of all of these different nations, these are all places where God has had a direct contact with them. We're, we're God's people. We're chosen. We know that we're chosen. We're good to go. And so because of it, because they believe in this salvation that God has promised to them, you are Israel, you are my people, I have chosen you, I will save you, you will be mine forever. They have built this covenant, and they were like, wow, great. So what do we do now? And then somebody in the room goes, uh, I think whatever we want. I, I think we're good. I think we're already on the winning team. Like, we're the warriors. We're, we're going to be fine. Who are the bucks? This is going to be great. So they start doing whatever they want. And this privilege to the people of the day, they believe that privilege equals security. Amos is here to say privilege equals peril. You may have thought you secured the bag when in doubt, the bag is still in God's hands. So you're going to have to work to uh, fix this because this isn't working. So reason number one, the people of the day have gotten into a place where their privilege has equaled security. And the second reason, Amos says that your past history does not take the place of current, present, spiritual, and moral commitment. So you may think that because God chose you back then that you are good, that once saved, always saved, Amos comes and just crashes through that wall. He says it's not like that. Because you are a chosen people, because God chose you, there's some responsibilities here, and they are not past tense. They are current, present responsibilities now. And you've been relying too heavily on what happened in the past. And so your ethical, your moral commitments must be renewed and brought into present tense. The third one is that your religious profession, professing to be religious, not religious as a profession, not like your pastors, but in this case, if you profess to be religious or you profess to be practicing religion, 
The only way to figure out whether or not you're actually doing it is to have clear evidences, clear present evidences. Amos is asking for proof. You think you're good, you say you're good, you claim to be good, but when I look around, I don't see good. You can't really prove good. I can prove a lot of other things, and so he does. That's what the next sections in Amos are. He just goes through his list. All right, listen up, Damascus. I told you to stop doing this, you're still doing it. You said you're gonna stop doing this, you're still doing it. You stop doing this, you're still doing it. And I give you three chances, and you know how much God loves the number three. So I give you a fourth chance. And again, you drop the ball, which is the nicest way of putting all of this. They've done more than drop the ball, but now they're here, and he's running down the list. You think that you're good because I chose you first. You think that you can stay good even though you're not updating all of your practices and you claim to be on my team, but everything you're doing proves to me that you're not. And so we need to have a talk. So now that we know what God is mad about, let's ask why he's mad. You find out pretty quickly at the, at the beginning there are three transgressions and into four. This is an early understanding of potentially our Trinity awareness. The book of the Bibles, or all the books of the Bible never say the word Trinity, but we see in here God favors the number three all the way through. Well, you made me mad, and then you made my son mad, and then you made the Holy Spirit mad, and that's hard to do. But because of who God is, and because of the situation they're in, they've already been chosen God gives them one more chance. I need you to flip the script entirely because I'm a forgiving God and I told you I love you no matter what. But in the book of Amos, we see God like a parent losing his patience. And so he taps Amos on the shoulder and says, go and tell them how I feel and list it for them so that they know what we're talking about. Because they think I just visited once in the past, but I want you to visit them today, and I need them to update their resumes. It is time to make some changes. So for three transgressions, for four transgressions, you finally tested my patience, and I've finally had enough. This idea of covenant becomes clear. It's this idea that God has chosen his people. And we can make that real here. If I split this room in half, I think it goes right through you, sir, so you can be half good and half bad in this story. But let's say I decide, all of you, you are my chosen people, and you, you are sinners, and I'm going to work with you. You guys do whatever you want. doesn't matter. You're not getting to heaven anyways. Sorry. Not to go too far down like a predestination route here. But the idea of covenant is that God has a people that he chose these people. Those are his people. That is you all. And you are just people practice, I don't know, creation like that, that didn't work, we'll fix that in, in edit later. So you're my people, you are good, we'll even add our balcony friends as well. But in this case, this covenant is not just like a, an arrangement, it's permanent. So when I look at Ken and I say, Ken, I have chosen you, that's it. From my perspective, oh, I made myself God, I need to be careful. <laughs> 
God, God has chosen Ken. And when God looks at Ken every single day, he goes, there's my guy. There's my guy. And then in return, Ken goes, oh, you chose, you chose me. Well, that's awesome. I choose you. And then boom, covenant. You are locked in. And this is forever. I'm going to take people from Adam through Abraham into Moses, out of Exodus, all of these different places. Ken's my guy all the way through. All of you on this side and half of you. We're all on the same team. But now we're further along in the book. Even if you just pinch the pages between the beginning and Amos, we're a long way through this story. And something has changed. And the problem is these people that God has consecrated as holy have started to do unholy things. And you're not supposed to. They can do that. The other half of that guy can do that. But you guys... What happened? Remember? Remember how good it was at the beginning? We all got together and we sang my favorite song. You were like, yeah, we can't wait to meet your son. He's like, you probably won't be alive for that, but that's okay. He's going to come once and he's going to come again. And you guys didn't care. You were out building gold stuff and worshiping it. But what happened? You were the remnant people. You claimed religion. You said this is what you wanted, and now you're doing what they do. But when you do it, they're like, yeah, we don't know what we're doing. Woo! You guys went and went like, ah, that looks like a ton of fun. Uh, God said this is cool now. Woo! And people are like, that's Christianity? Like, you start to see them doing the same thing. Like, I guess that makes us Christians too. And they're like, no, no, you're heathens. We just love it. all of your practices, all of them. If it feels good, we want that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys are good at that. We're going to do that, but we're going to do it at church. Woo! What happened? This coming, Ken, buddy. Ah, you're breaking my heart here. I thought we had something. And the covenant starts to pull away from that permanent state. It used to be just, boom, locked in. We were good. Ken and I, best friends, Facebook friends, MySpace, top five. And now it's like this. Some days it feels like this. Some days it feels more like that idea of like the God and Adam touching. Like it's not, what happened to this? This is what I asked for. You were supposed to handle that. You're not doing your job. And so it starts to pull away. Because this idea of taking and keeping a people is a two-part process. It's I choose Ken, Ken chooses me. That's how it's supposed to be. It can't just be I choose Ken, Ken chooses them. But keep saying my name when he does it. Like, yeah, yeah, God told me this is cool now. I didn't, say, I didn't say that. But you're telling them who need to hear what I actually said, you're telling them what you think. And that's not this. Because if it was this, you would fully understand. Because it's this, it's not working anymore. I can't take and keep a people if you can't take and keep me. 
So we've got to have a talk. And this covenant starts to rip apart. It says in 2 Timothy 2.19, the Lord knows who are his. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Except iniquity and my name go together. So there are two options here that we can look at from Amos, just from our perspective today. Is God, this God that we think we understand, that's like, I picked Ken, Ken's cool with me the whole time, no matter what. Potentially in Amos, you can read this and say, God's going back on what he said. That's option one. Option two is that God is attempting to do this. This roar is an attempt to purge the false witnesses, the false prophets, the bad actors from among this group in order to get them to stop changing the ethos of this side. Maybe he's roaring to say, I picked Ken. Ken was supposed to be the guy. Ken changed his mind. I don't break the covenant with this half. I just got to get Ken out of this batch. I got to go find those that are halfway, that say they're in but act like they're not. I got to get you. So I roar in hopes that you're so afraid of this God that you'll move back to where you're supposed to be. Or you'll make a change. And it's time to switch. Oh, yeah, that's right. I used to be good. I used to make these strong decisions, but now I don't. I keep going over to this side and telling them what, what they should be doing and tell them that it's, it's God first and then I revel in all the things that they're doing. I can't give you the answer to which one it is because the only way to figure out which one it is is to read Amos 7 through 9. So come back. Japheth will preach 7 and 8. Uh, Alex Bryan will preach chapter 9. And you can determine then which one is God doing. Is God doing option A? changing the covenant, or is he doing option B? He's trying to purge the bad from within the good. Stay tuned on that one. Amos says there's a criteria to true religion. And he says it's, it's five points. It says, number one, you need to respond fully to grace and the law of God. Number two, you need to live out the law in obedience. Number three, you need to rest on grace not only for the ability to do things in God's name, but for the forgiveness of doing them improperly in God's name. The fourth one is being reverent in your hearing and receiving of the word and being honest, considerate, and unfailing concern given always to the needy. The problem is the people of privilege who are here, this half of the room, you have all this money, you have all this protection, you got super wealthy except you forgot about the people who needed you the ones that God called you to go and get, and all of them went invisible to you. And so you failed that. You haven't been listening to the word. You haven't been obedient. I gave you a bunch of laws. Couldn't handle any of them. The problem is privilege, for those of you over here, comes with a requirement. Alex Mater says, the people of God had fallen asleep in the comfort of their privileges, the privilege of salvation, and needed to be jolted into the awareness that the only assured certainty of the possession of these privileges was the evidence of a life committed without reserve, being holy as their Savior is holy. You can say that you're the chosen people, but if you stop acting like the chosen people, you can't be secure in being the chosen people. So switch the game. You need to go back to holy. You've chosen unholy things. And unfortunately, in a holy place, there is no space 
for the unholy. And so we're calling you out. It's time to change. Alec continues by saying, the proper response to the revelation that God is your redeemer, the savior of sinners, is to live before him in a spirit of penitence, to frequent the place of forgiveness and cleansing, to use, the full, to, use to the full the means of pardon and grace. You're not perfect, and that's okay. You can make mistakes, that's fine. But when you make a mistake and you say you're sorry, mean it. Stop saying you're sorry because it's easy. Stop saying sorry because you don't want to lose your spot in line. Because unfortunately, the line that you're taking isn't working. You're using religion in all the wrong ways. You're using religion only when it's convenient. You're only using religion when it benefits you. You're only using religion when it affords you an advantage, when it's absolutely necessary or when someone is watching. But the problem is you hide your religion when it gets in the way of your pleasure. You hide your religion so you can reason otherwise. Well, it seems like God would be cool with this, so I'm just going to go do it. You use religion in some ways, but you hide it when it becomes burdensome or it becomes uh, a situation that says you have to lose something that you possess. You hide your religion for convenience. You are claiming holiness for totally unholy reasons. And so it says throughout chapters 1 and 2 in Amos that God sets fire to all of it. All of your defenses, all of your false claims, all your strongholds, all of your gates and your guards and your border walls, God crushes them and sets them ablaze. I'm sick of your excuses. This isn't working. I chose you. You said you chose me, but you lied. And I'm calling you to the mat. Fire, in this case, is an allegory for purity. In anything that you claim to be mine, in these places that I gave you, and you forgot to say thank you, and instead, in those places where you could have shown gratitude, you built statues to yourself, and you built border walls to keep them out. And they need to be where you are. But right now you're sick. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And you know it. So burn it all. Burn it all. This fire comes from this understanding of relationship. I chose you. And that hasn't changed. I still choose you. But I need you to chose me, choose me. But here's the reality. You never actually really chose me, did you? In all those times where you said you were supposed to be doing the right thing, you smack your spouse around. She says, I'm leaving. You say, no, 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 I'll go to church this time. Pull him back in. Here's the thing. You didn't choose God. You chose an easier answer. But God says, you never really chose me. You went on a, a mission trip abroad. But the reality is you didn't really choose me. You chose something that padded your resume so you could get into that school. It says, you went, you went to the Adventist University, but you didn't really choose me. You did it 
because they were giving you a tuition break. And your parents said they would pay for it, and you didn't want to pay for another school, but you didn't really choose me. You chose something simple. You chose what you needed to say. You said the thing that wouldn't get you in more trouble would get you out of a little bit of trouble, but you did it in my name. You said, God, help me. This is the last time, and you flushed it down the toilet. You poured it all down the sink. You said, God, this is the last time, but you didn't really choose me. You just didn't want to feel that way anymore. God, I'm going to stop clicking on this website. I'm going to stop seeing those things. I'm going to stop telling my wife I'm going here and instead go there. God, help me. But you didn't really choose me. You just had nowhere else to go. Because the problem is you spent so much time choosing other things, you've forgotten what it's like to actually know me. So if you don't know me, then how can you choose me? The problem is you keep telling everybody that you did choose me. And because God chose me and I chose God, I can go out and tell the people. You chose the easy way. But you didn't choose me. So now I don't choose you. How about that? thing here is that this can be super scary. So for a second, let me take the edge off of this. This is not meant to scare you into religion. It's just not. God is having a conversation of relationship. You ever been in a situation where you're in a fight with your spouse and you just get to that point where you've said the one thing you weren't supposed to say? Think of the car ride home with Jessica and Kiefer from last week. And Kiefer gives Jessica that look and just gets quiet. That's this. That's Amos 1 and 2. It's, it, you're not supposed to be afraid in that moment. Unfortunately, fear is a byproduct. Fear is a byproduct of looking across that space and realizing something broke. Then I'm not here anymore. You lost me. I, I don't do it to, to scare you. I do it to be honest with you. You have broken my trust. And here we are. It's that moment where you find yourself walking on a trail somewhere. And your intention was not to walk in a place where there were mountain lions. But the reality is this. Sometimes you're on a trail you're not supposed to be. You don't live there. That cat does. And that cat is there to warn you, don't you dare go another step forward. I'm going to give you three chances. And if you do it wrong, I might give you a fourth. But after that, you're going to hear me roar. But the reality is this, I don't do it to make you afraid of me. I do it because I have no other choice. What else do you want me to do? You, I told you to stop saying that. I told you to stop using that language. Don't call me that. Don't refer to me in that way. Time's up. We've got to deal with this. 
There is a giant mountain lion standing between you and whatever you do next. So I'm here to give you some practical understandings. Do you know what to do if you ever face a mountain lion in real life? You find yourself in a place like Norm? There are four easy steps. Step number one, do not run. Because if you run, the mountain lion thinks that you're prey and you confirm it by running away. When God roars and says, I've got a list of demands to put you back to where you said you were gonna stay, do not run. This is not the time and place to think you can outrun this. You've already done it. You've already made the mistakes, so don't run. Step number two, face it head on. Do not show your back to a giant cat. You look God straight in the eye and you say, I'm here. Step number three, get big. Say the cats are afraid of something bigger than them. You don't look that big now, but they say if you're wearing a jacket, you're supposed to unbutton it or unzip it, and then you find yourself there, and you're just supposed to get really big. When God finds you in that sinful moment, don't run, open yourself up. I can't hide, this is me. I put on a facade, man, I make it look good, but the reality is this is me. And in front of that cat, do your best to get big, be open. Step number four is to get loud. Scream for your friend Rob. If you're gonna say kitty kitty, at least do it Louder than that, Norm. Get vocal with God. God just read out a list. Didn't I tell you to stop doing these things? Yes, God. This is not the time to drop down. Shame is already here. So get loud. God, I confess I have done the following things, and God, I want to stop. I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. This is the last time, God, I'm serious. And God growls. He roars, ready to attack. There are four ways to get out of it. Don't miss this opportunity because it's the last one you get. So this is scary. This can be a place where you can say, I want to be, I want to be a part of your religion, but man, that was super... That was super scary. I don't know if I like that God. Don't worry about it. That's not the only version of God. God is meant to be feared, but God is not meant to be only feared. God means to have a relationship with you. I choose you, all of you. Choose me. Because he has already chosen you. So spend time in that moment. Face it straight up. Don't run. Take a look at your life. This is a State of the Union address. And Amos is saying, get your house in order. The problem with the GRC is that it cuts at certain points. So the preaching plan says that I only get to preach chapter one and chapter two. In order not to step on Tony's toes next week, I gotta leave you here. I gotta leave you right here. It goes further, there's more. The book of Amos is not chapter one and chapter two, but I have to leave you here. 
so that Tony can do his diligence through the rest of the chapters. But I'll tell you this, there's a little, there's a little understanding I can give you at the beginning. Amos 1, verse 2, and Amos 3, verse 8 are bookends, where the lion roars and Amos makes sense of the roar in 3, 8. So come back. But in the meantime, do yourself a favor. Listen for the people around you who are willing to talk about the stuff that needs to change. Because the good news in all of this is that this is not the lion's roar. This is the shepherd's roar. So there's still time left. It's not over. But there will come a point where the shepherd's roar will be replaced by the lion's roar. So get your house in order. And be thankful for the shepherds in your life who are willing to roar and tell you that thing is not you. That place you go is not you. That relationship you're in, those friends you hang out with, whatever it is, that is not what I called you to do. There's more to this story, but I'm going to leave you here so you can get your house in order. So by the time you come back next week and hear the rest of Amos, it looks different, it feels different, that roar is not as scary. The problem is that cat is gonna start right here. And there's eight more minutes in that video. So get your house in order. Godspeed.